You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Are you guys ready for tonight? You ready? All right, here we go. Here we go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We thank you, we thank you, thank you for gathering us together as a community. I thank you for every single high school student in this room. Man, you are passionately in love with them, and you desire nothing more than to spend all of eternity with every single one of them, which is why for the next seven weeks, this is exactly what we're talking about, eternity. We're talking about heaven. God, I ask that at the end of this season, at the end of the series that we'll be in together, that we would be more passionate about you here and now as we have become more excited and expectant of what heaven will be like. So Jesus, through your word, would you comfort us? Would you convict us? And would you change us that we might be more like you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So we are beginning a brand new series called Heaven. And the subtitle for our series is A Great Misunderstanding. And I think as you walked into this room, and even as you're thinking right now about the topic of heaven, I guarantee you there's lots of different ideas. Maybe you've read a book about it before. Maybe you've talked about it with your friends. Maybe your thought about heaven is, oh yeah, it's just like this this nice cloudy space where kind of everybody eventually goes and there's like unicorns and there's my favorite Starbucks drink and it's the most incredible thing and I just got to endure life here and someday I'll go there. I don't know what exactly you carried into this room with you, but I'd venture to bet that many of us, many of us, have some serious misunderstandings about this place. And even as I intentionally use that word place, you're going, well, no, isn't it just like a third dimension somewhere? Or isn't it just like up in the clouds and like, you know, Gumby is like waiting for me or something? That we're going to clarify. We're going to spend the next seven weeks diving in and clarifying. And and some of what I'm going to share with you might be offensive, especially tonight. Some of what I might share with you, you might go, I don't know if I like that. And I understand that. But what I'm sharing with you tonight is true. And so we can either choose to not like it and reject the truth, or we can choose to embrace it and have a bigger, better picture of eternity. I mean, all of you just showed up here on planet Earth. None of you, like, brought yourself into existence, right? And at some point, all of us will no longer be alive. The question that has plagued humanity since the beginning of time is, what's next? What does that look like? And maybe, just maybe, your picture of heaven isn't big enough. Maybe, just maybe, your picture of God is too small. And maybe, just maybe, that if we spend some time investigating heaven, it might possibly change everything about today. 
So as we jump in, I want to kind of give us a snapshot of heaven and hell as the scriptures talk about it. And one of the reasons we open the Bible, and that may be foreign to you, you may go, why do you even read this old book? The reason we read this book is because Jesus took this book really seriously. And the reason we take Jesus really seriously is because Jesus claimed to rise from the dead, and then he actually did it. He proved it. I mean, he actually rose from the dead, and there's historical evidence that backs that up. We're absolutely convinced that Jesus rose from the dead, and since Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he was God, he took this book seriously. So we, as his followers, have no other choice than to take this book seriously. And so as we jump into this book, maybe you've asked that question before, what is the afterlife? What is eternity? What is heaven? Well, here, we're going to get a quick snapshot. And in the weeks to come, we're going to go way more in detail. But I want to begin with a snapshot, and then I want to talk about tonight, who is heaven ultimately for? Find me here in Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and, the new, and, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So much about heaven in this passage. It's early on talking about this picture of heaven coming down. Okay, so heaven's kind of in, in motion it's this idea that heaven is the dwelling place of God. It's where God hangs out with his people. It's where God is known and loved by his people. And then he says, and God will be their God. And so heaven is not just this picture of your own desires being met or you doing whatever you want. Heaven at the very center of it, the accurate picture of heaven, always involves God being the Lord. God being with you. And you being with him. But then check out what it says in verse 4. I mean, this is what we have to look forward to. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine life as you know it? With no pain, with no regret, with no shame, with no agony with no worry, with no depression, with no anxiety, with no pain. Can you imagine a place, a place where none of that exists and there's freedom and there's peace for the old order of things has passed away. So in a brief snapshot, and we are going to go much deeper over the next seven weeks, but at the beginning, at the outset, the picture of heaven that Jesus paints is one of us in relationship with him, absent of anything that is sinful, evil, painful, broken, distorted. Just imagine what your life would look like right now with that. See, this is the picture that Jesus paints of heaven. But then in a few verses later, he also paints a picture of a very real other reality, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murders, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, yikes. Has anyone ever lied? Raise your hand if you've lied. Dakota, raise your hand. Okay, Dakota's lied too. 
All of us have lied. They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. See, Scripture paints a very clear picture that once we die the first time, there are two paths. There's the path towards eternity with him, dwelling with God, being close and intimate with him. And there's a path of total separation from him. And I'll be honest with you guys, I don't talk about this topic as much because my hope and my desire is I don't want to fear you into following Jesus, okay? I don't want to, Jesus wasn't really about that. I mean, Jesus constantly talked about the kingdom of heaven as experiencing the life that God has for you, but he was also honest about the reality that there are two paths, that they both exist for eternity, but they go in totally different directions. One leads towards perfect closeness with God and the other one towards total separation from God. This is the snapshot that scripture gives us of what heaven and hell are like and here's what's true. Nobody accidentally ends up in heaven or hell. Nobody accidentally ends up in heaven and hell. Another way of saying this, maybe a question you've asked is like, how could God send anyone to hell? Like why would God ever allow that? Here's what I believe. God doesn't send anybody to hell nor does he force anybody into heaven. God, because of his great love for you, has given you the opportunity to make the most important decision in your entire world. I mean, this is why you've heard me say this before. You know, marrying Sarah was like the second best decision of my life. But it was not the first most important decision of my life. The first most important decision of my life was surrendering it to Jesus, receiving his forgiveness, because it is through that relationship that determines whether I spend eternity with him or eternity apart from him. Another way to think about it is this. Why would it make sense that somebody who lived a life wanting distance from God, wanting to be separated from God, wanting to do their own thing, why would it make sense that for all of eternity they were doing the exact opposite of that? And in the same way, why would it make sense that somebody who surrendered their life to Jesus and wanted to dwell with him and be in relationship with God, why would it make sense that they wouldn't do that for all of eternity? You see, God doesn't force people into heaven or hell. He invites people to be with him forever and then allows you and I to make those choices for ourselves. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, the great Christian writer, he says it this way, all your life an unattainable ecstasy has hovered just beyond the grasp of your consciousness. The day is coming when you will wake to find beyond all hope that you have attained it. So right there, he's painting this picture. He's saying heaven is so close to us. And we're going to see this throughout this entire series, that heaven is a lot closer than you think. It's a lot closer than you know. It's going to be more familiar than you could ever possibly imagine. It's going to be greater than anything you could possibly imagine. And it's a lot closer. And what C.S. Lewis says here is, he says, one day we will wake up and realize, oh my word, we have attained it. We have experienced the heaven that God created us for, the eternal life with him or else that it was within your reach and you have lost it forever. So students, I recognize that we're starting heavy. But as we're starting here, I want you to ask yourself this question. Is your life on a trajectory towards eternity with God? Or is your life on a trajectory of eternity away from God? It will be no surprise. It will be no surprise to any of us 
But the question we have to ask is, where is our life going right now as we speak? So here's the things we're going to be talking about throughout this series. Here's some questions we're going to be answering. The first question is, is heaven an actual place? That's what we'll be talking about next week. Is heaven an actual place? Then a week after that, we'll be talking about, do we have bodies in heaven? Do we just kind of float around, or are there actual bodies in heaven? The next week, we'll talk about, what will we do in heaven? And maybe some of you have asked that question, like, whole of eternity? Like, I can't even grasp, like, graduating junior year. Like, how in the world do I begin to think about eternity? Like, what would we possibly do? Won't it be so boring? No. No. But what will we do there? We'll talk about that. Then we're going to spend two weeks answering heaven's frequently asked questions. Questions that you've asked, questions that we've read about, questions that wrestle with, man, what is heaven actually gonna be like? And what about this and what about that? We're gonna wrestle with those. And then the last week we're gonna spend together talking about how do we live now in light of then? So how does this series not just be, oh, that was kind of interesting and cool, now I know what's to come, but what if a better picture of heaven and what is to come might shape our lives now. That is where we will end our time together. So tonight's focus is who is heaven for? And some of you, you need to be asking this question. Who is heaven for? I mean, who's going to heaven? What does that mean exactly? Who is heaven for? I want to begin with this passage. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Let me make this crystal clear. It is nobody's job in this room to determine who individually will be going to heaven and who won't be going to heaven. It is the word of God. It is God Almighty who determines who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And it is not determined by whatever it is that he wants in that moment. God is not fickle in that way. It's determined by the life that we live and ultimately who we believe to be our Lord and Savior. Is Jesus our Lord and Savior or am I my Lord and Savior? And so it's not our job to walk around going, man, that person's going to hell. That person's going to heaven. I'm sure of it. That's not our job as followers of Jesus. That's Jesus' job. But what you can do is you can ask the question, is my life on a trajectory to spend eternity with him or on a trajectory to spend eternity separated from him? So what I want to talk about is I want to talk about four signs that you are on the highway to heaven. Four signs that you are on the highway to heaven. And maybe you've asked yourself, maybe you're unsure, maybe some of you struggle with perfectionism, and every day you're like, wait, did I confess that sin? Oh my gosh, what if I didn't? Is God going to send me to hell? Ah! And you begin to freak out. And maybe some of you have really wrestled with that. Well, how could you know that you are on the highway to spend eternity with God? I want to talk about four things, but here's the way I want to talk about these four things. You and I don't have the option to pick and choose a few of these four things. You can't say, oh, I really like that one, but I don't like that one as much. That this is a all or nothing. These four signs, they work together. They are an all or nothing kind of thing that point towards whether we will spend eternity with Jesus. And this is hard for us because we really like to pick and choose. I mean, my favorite places to eat all week are Chipotle, uh, Jersey Mike's. Uh, pokey, I love pokey, and then when I'm on a diet, I go to a buffet, like hometown buffet, you know what I mean? And I, I love that kind of food, that's my favorite stuff. You know why? Because I get to pick and choose. I get to decide what I want to eat, what I do. If I want extra cucumbers, if I want more salmon, whatever I want, I get to pick and I get to choose. But here's the thing, when it comes to the most critical and important decision you will make, whether your life is headed towards eternity with God or eternity separated from Him, you don't get to choose. 
And what I mean by that is you don't get to pick and choose truths that you like and ones that you don't like. The reality is these four signs, they work together. The first one is this. Sign number one, I know sin is not just in them, but it's in me too. I know sin is not just in them, and I know, but I know that it's in me too. Here's the thing. Everyone in this room, you would agree other people have sin in their lives because you've been hurt by them. Somebody has gossiped about you. Somebody has said something about you. Somebody has let you down or betrayed you, and you look at them, and you go, man, that's messed up. That's wrong. You look out at the world, and you see that things are messed up. And we're all really good at looking out at the world and saying, man, that is wrong, that is wrong, that is wrong. But you know what we hate to do? We hate to look inward. We hate to look within and say, but maybe there's something wrong in me. We went to uh, the movies the other day. Um, as a family, we went and saw The Incredibles too. And we were sitting in this movie theater and Charlie was sitting uh, next to me right here. Sarah was right here and Brinley was in Sarah's lap and, and Lila was being babysat by who knows who. And um, we're sitting there and we're at this movie theater and we're watching this movie. And what's so funny is our kids, they just don't have an awareness of other people around them. And, and Brinley, who's four, um, the previews come on and she literally screams out. She goes, I love this movie! Like just screaming, right? And all these like high schoolers start like echoing her and making fun of her. And I'm like, don't mess with Brin. Like don't mess the bridge will take you out and so she starts kind of echoing it and then all of a sudden like this scary this scary scene in the movie takes place and and she goes she literally prays she goes holy spirit give me peace holy spirit give me peace like she's literally praying at the top of her lungs holy spirit give me peace it's the best thing ever right she has no awareness but then but then then she does this she's sitting there in the movies and she notices the guy sitting in front of her has a giant bowl of popcorn, okay? No joke, you guys, in the middle of the movie, at like the brightest scene when you can see everyone, Brinley hops off mom's lap, reaches her hand in the dude's popcorn, pulls it out, and starts eating it. And he looks back at us, and we're like, sorry, right? It's Brinley, right? She just does that kind of stuff. She has like no awareness of her own sin at that point. She has no awareness of it. Now, let me ask you this question, though. Does that make what she did right? Does that make it okay that she, even though she wasn't fully aware of it, is that okay what she did? Absolutely not. So we had to begin to talk to her about, you can't take other people's popcorn. You'll probably get a disease. And that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. And you see, Brinley, Brinley is really quick to point out when Charlie, you know, tackles her or when Brinley steals her lollipop or whatever it may be. But Brinley doesn't want to admit that what she does sometimes and what she struggles with is not okay. You see, sign number one is really significant and important for every single one of us to know is that sin is not just out there, but sin is in here. Romans 3.10 says this, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. This is coming from the perspective of a perfect God looking at his creation, watching them rebel against him. And his response to them is, the reality is no one is righteous on their own. No one is perfect on their own. No one is blameless on their own. In 1 John verse 1, chapter 1, verse 8 and 10, it says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Here's the reality. 
If you're in this room and you're going, man, I don't sin. I don't mess up. Remember, sin is anytime you dethrone God and put him in your place or in his, you put yourself in his place. Sin is anytime you dethrone God and you put yourself in his place. It's anytime you rebel against him in thought or in action. It's anytime you say, God, you know what? I know you don't want me to go this far with my boyfriend. I, don't, I know that you're not okay with these thoughts. I know that cheating is not what you have for me. I know that lying is not the dream that you have for my life, but I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. But that sin, that sin is real, and it's not just out there. It's in here. And what Scripture says is if we claim to be without it, we're only lying to ourselves, and we're only calling God a liar. And if God is perfect, he's not a liar. And if you're lying and deceiving yourself, you're not going down a good path. So the reality is sin is within all of us. In fact, Paul says it in another place, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This word death here is, is thanatos, and it literally means to be separated. We talked about this before, but sin is not just a bad decision you did last weekend. Sin is death. And it always brings separation from God. It always creates this chasm. You see, this is why sign number one is really important to recognize. That sin is not just out there, it's in here. And because of my decisions, because of my rebellion, there is this distance between me and God. And if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, there is a distance between you and God that you cannot overcome on your own. Because you can't be perfect. Because you can't fix it. Because you and I are trapped in our sin. But sign number two is also important. Not only is sin not just out there, but it's in here. Sin also, what we need to know about sign number two is that I know that God is sinless. That it's not just about the sin that is in me and me and God are somehow like buddies and equal. No, no, no. God is actually sinless. Listen to what the scriptures say. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. This is God speaking. God's saying, I desire for you to be holy and perfect because I am holy. In Habakkuk 1.13, it says, God, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. And then in Isaiah 55, God says, for my thoughts, they're not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. What God is saying here is, look, and this is good news. There's a big difference between me and you. The difference is I'm creator, you're creation. The difference is I'm infinite, you're finite. The difference is I have always existed, but you I brought into existence. And so we're at a dilemma here. We are sinners. We are broken. We have missed the mark. We have rebelled against God, but he is absolutely perfect. And you see, if you're headed on the highway to heaven, if you're on the trajectory towards spending eternity with God, you need to believe and know that you're a sinner, that you're broken. You also need to know and believe that God is sinless, that he's absolutely perfect. But then sign number three is this. I know Jesus held nothing back to win me back. So sign number three connects the dots and say, look, I'm over there, sinner broken. God is over here all perfect, never having sin. And yet Jesus does what only he could do for us. He closes the gap. He steps in the gap. He holds nothing back ultimately to win us back. And this is the way Paul says it. God made him who had no sin 
to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, God made it the most beautiful, incredible decision. He said, I'm going to give up my life, my perfect life, so that my imperfect creations could be in a perfect relationship with me. I mean, just think about what God did for you. And, and God did this for every one of you. Whether you know it or not, whether tonight all of this is brand new to you, God did this for you because you're worth it to him, because you're valuable to him, because he adores you, because you're his creation, because he wants to spend eternity with you. I mean, his heart, his heart literally breaks so much so that he gave up his life. He died for you, not just for right now, but so that for all of eternity, you and him could be close and together and in relationship. You see, Jesus did for you what no boyfriend will ever do. Jesus did for you what no bestie could ever do. Jesus did for you what no salary or job or family or object or thing that you want to fill that void in you, Jesus did it for you. Because you matter so much to him. In fact, Jesus, when he explains heaven and when he is talking about heaven, he answers this question and he addresses the, the finality of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. Jesus begins to paint a picture of what heaven is like. And notices the ter notice the terminology he uses. He doesn't talk about these like clouds out there that are mysterious. He talks about houses. And he says, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me? There's so much here about heaven. Jesus says, I'm preparing an actual place for you. And when you die, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm coming back for you. You don't have to find that way on your own. And that's what they begin to wrestle with. They go, but Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? I love this moment. He's just really honest going, I don't understand. I don't know the way. Maybe you've been there before. The other day I got so mad at Sarah. I was, I was driving home. We were supposed to meet right at noon. And, and I, was, I was driving home and she wasn't there. And my wife is literally like going to give birth any day now. I mean, it's hours away giving birth to our fourth kid. I know that's crazy, but that's what's happening. She's giving birth to our fourth child. And I'm literally terrified. I get to the house and I'm like, where are you? And I start texting her and I start calling her and there's no answer at all. Like straight to voicemail. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's at Target giving birth in the aisle. Like I just know it. The kids are with her. She didn't do that, by the way. Okay, she didn't do that. So I'm like, that's what's happening. I'm freaking out. She finally gets home. And I literally, I'm like, I'm just, I'm frustrated. I'm like, Sarah, what is wrong with you? Like, are you kidding me? Like, you can't just leave and be gone. Like, I didn't know where you were. And then she said this to me. She said, Eric, I told you where I was going to be. You just weren't listening. And I was like, I was like, babe, babe, I'm a perfect listener. That's not me. You're thinking about someone else. She's like, no, you suck at listening. And I already told you this and you weren't listening. And you see, in the same way, Jesus is saying to these people, you haven't been listening. Here's what you need to know. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So sign number three is recognizing that Jesus did for you, that Jesus is the only way to spend eternity with the Father. And in fact, Paul says it this way, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Some of you struggle with that. You go, I just don't know if I can believe that God has actually saved me. I question that. What's so cool is God doesn't make us question. God doesn't want us to be questioning. God doesn't want us to be doubting this. He says plainly and clearly in his message to us that, look, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord of your life, and if you actually believe that in your heart in a way where you trust Jesus enough to allow him to change you, that's the difference. We're not just like saying, man, yeah, I know that Jesus said that. I'm talking about a, a kind of belief that says, Jesus, I so deeply believe that you're the Lord of the universe. I so deeply believe that you saved me that you can change any part of me. You see, that's when you know that you've really declared that Jesus is the Lord of your life. When your belief in him allows him to do whatever he wants with you. Randy Alcorn, an author, he says this, consider the wonder of it. God determined that he would rather go to hell on your behalf than live in heaven without us. See, God took all the weight and the sin of the world so that you and him could spend eternity together. And sign number four, our last one, is not I know, but I trust. I trust Jesus with my whole life forever. Going back to that verse, maybe you saw it crossed out, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Scripture is clear that if we confess, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness, that he forgives you completely every time and you are in a perfect relationship with him. And why did he do that? Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him, trusts in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Students, we were made for a person, and we were made for a place. You were made for a relationship with Jesus, and you were made to spend eternity with him. But the only one who determines whether you will spend eternity with Jesus in the place he has created called heaven for you is you. He's extended that invitation to you, and he's wondering what you want to do with it. So here's what I want us to do. I want you to close your eyes with me for a second. As I've been talking about this, and as you're thinking about these different signs, as you're thinking about the fact that sin's not just out there, but sin's in here, sin's in me, and as you're, you're realizing, man, God is perfect, he's absolutely sinless. And that because of his great love for us, he held nothing back. He died on a cross for you and he rose from the dead to prove to you that he has the power over life and death. And that maybe you're at a place where you're ready to trust Jesus for the first time or the hundredth time. Maybe you got brought here by a friend or you've been showing up for a while, but these four signs are connecting some dots for you and starting to make sense of things. And tonight, you want to make sure that you are on that trajectory, that you are on that path towards eternity with Jesus, not eternity apart from him. And with every eye closed, I just want to give an opportunity tonight for anyone in this room who hasn't begun a relationship with Jesus to say, I want to spend eternity with that Jesus who did everything for me. And so with every eye closed, if, if you're in this room, and tonight you want to begin for the first time a relationship with Jesus that will last for all of eternity, I want you to raise your hand right now so I can pray for you.
Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the hands raised in this room. Thank you for the decision that each one of these people are making to surrender every part of their lives to you, Jesus. I thank you, God, that you're so passionate about us, that you've pursued us, that you want to spend all of eternity with us. You don't want us to be alone. You want us to be with you. And Jesus, I pray that you would enter into the lives and hearts of these students in a way where they know that they are forever in a relationship with you. And Jesus, would you change them forever? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now hold on, you guys. Before we break into small groups, there was a few of you who you said for the very first time, you want to surrender your life to Jesus. And that is what scripture says is the greatest miracle of all time. And you began a journey today that will last for all of eternity where he is going to change you and work in your life. And so what I want you to do is on the count of three, if you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to stand up at the count of three, and here's why. Because you're never supposed to follow Jesus alone, but you have a community. And maybe you're going, man, I don't even know these people yet. Well, we're glad you're here, and you're family with us now. And we're so thankful you're here, and we want to walk with you. And so on the count of three, if you raised your hand, I want you to stand up so we can celebrate with all of heaven that you will spend eternity with those of us who have surrendered our lives to Jesus. So on the count of three, would you do us the honor of standing up so we can celebrate? One, two, three. Stay standing real quick. Stay standing. I just have a question for you as you're standing real quick. I just have a question for you. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? And are you committed to following him for the rest of your life? Awesome. Welcome to the family. (laughs) 